The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. I wonder what Mary thought the day she watched her son ascend above all heavens. I mean, what was she thinking as she saw him going up into the sky? Now, we're not entirely sure that Mary was there on the Mount of Olives with the other disciples. The Bible doesn't specifically say it, but I got to imagine she was. She was there for every other major event of Jesus' life. Right? She was there when the, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel announced the Son of God's arrival in her womb. She was there when the shepherds came to worship at the manger. She was there as he grew from a baby to a little boy to a young man. She was there when the miracles of God began to break out in his life, proving to everyone that he was the Messiah, the Son of God sent to save the world. She was also there to witness when the religious leaders turned against him and words of hate and malice were spoken. She was there to see both sides of Jerusalem, the city that welcomed Jesus on Palm Sunday with palm branches and cries of Hosanna, and the same Jerusalem who that Friday was shouting, Crucify. And yes, she was there when they took her boy, and nailed him to a cross of wood. And she was there for the whole three-hour execution as she watched his life drain away. And she was there when Mary's son and the Son of God rose from the dead on Easter morning, conquering sin and death and the devil and returning to the land of the living to the shouts of praise and joy of his people. Mary was there too. So I have no doubt that Mary was there this day when the Son of God and Mary's Son returned to the heaven he had left, taking our humanity with him. And when Jesus, the Son of God and Mary's Son, ascended to heaven, this was the coronation of the Son of God, when he would go to heaven's throne to sit down and begin to reign and to rule. Did any of you uh, watch the coronation of King Charles III? I'm a little bit of an Anglophile. I turned it on because I love to see that pomp and circumstance. They had like 4,000 troops marching in, in formation, and you see the beautiful architecture, and then you see all the people of England there in their finest, and then the king comes in a golden carriage, and he gets seated on his throne with the orb and the scepter with the Cullinan diamond on the top, the biggest diamond in the world, and that crown that's priceless, He's sitting there, and they play Handel Zadok, the priest, and boy, I just I, I get into that a lot, probably too much. But you might wonder, what, you know, why would you even, what's even the point, really? I mean, you could ask that question, what has this guy done, Charles? I mean, he was simply born into the right family at the right time, and honestly, it's a pretty dysfunctional family at that, isn't it? But here's why I like watching that coronation. I think we need to be reminded every once in a while that when we're living in this broken and shabby and tawdry world, that there are things more glorious, more majestic, and more beautiful than what surrounds us. A coronation like that 
yeah, first one in my lifetime. Can you imagine then what the coronation ceremony was like at the once in an eternity coronation of Jesus Christ as the King of heaven and earth? Can you imagine what that was like? When it wasn't 4,000 members of the British Armed Forces, but legions and legions of angels and cherubim and seraphim waiting to receive the high prince of the heavenly kingdom who had come home. Can you imagine the beauty and the glory of that? Can you imagine what it was like when this Son of God who set aside his crown and left his throne to come here to descend into our darkness and brokenness, when he had finished his mission, and defeated death, conquered the devil, redeemed us from sin when he came back home to be installed as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can't imagine what that must have looked like. There's a good reason why we as the Christian church have remembered the Festival of Ascension for 2,000 years. Right, So ascension always happens on the 40th day after Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended back into heaven, but in front of his disciples, he gave them their marching orders, said, go make disciples of all nations. He blessed them. Then he ascended into heaven to his coronation ceremony and sat down at the right hand of God and began to reign. There's good reason for us to remember this day. But it's easy maybe for us to misunderstand it a little bit too. Because we often look at it from our perspective. Right? Jesus, uh, he defeats death, rises from the dead, he gives the church their marching orders, and off he goes to heaven. And it, you could be forgiven for thinking maybe it's a little bit like Jesus is retiring. Right? I've done my part. Okay, boys, now it's your turn. Go make disciples of all nations. That's a pretty big mission. You could be forgiven to think that Jesus was acting like he was retiring, but, but here's the thing. That couldn't be further from the truth. The only thing that changed was Jesus' earthly ministry was complete and now had become his role as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And to this church, to you and me, to whom he gave this huge mission, he left us with a huge promise. Jesus reigns. St. Paul said it this way. God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Did you hear that part? For the church. The king over all kings and the Lord over all lords is seated on heaven's throne, and he promises that he reigns for the church. All things for the church. That's a promise sometimes we deeply need when our lives feel less like a British monarch's coronation and more like a pile of the broken shards of this world and its sorrows and its struggles, its sometimes joyless efforts that we put in. Jesus says, don't forget, I'm reigning right now for you. No amount of brokenness or sorrow or fear or uncertainty can take away the promise that your brother, who ascended with your humanity to heaven's throne, 
says he's ruling and reigning for you. That means, you know, well, what it doesn't mean, doesn't mean this, that there's not going to be any brokenness in our lives. It doesn't mean as a church, everything we do is going to be successful in the eyes of the world. Um, what it does do, though, for our life and for our church and our ministry is it, it changes the definition maybe of what success is. See, success for you and I, as brothers and subject of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he's left us with this mission and says, here's success, that the people around us might know Jesus better. Whether through that's the words we speak or the way we teach our children or the way we interact with our community or our coworkers or the way in which we treat our spouse or our employers or our employees, that they might know Jesus better. That's success. The thing about Jesus' rule and reign here and now, in this age, not in the one to come, is sometimes it might look like God is working slowly. Sometimes it might look like God is working weakly. Sometimes it might look like the broken parts of my life are just staying broken. That does not change the fact that Jesus reigns for you. He might work slowly, but God works powerfully through all the little things. I, I was reminded of that one time a few years ago. I was standing in the Turkish city of Ephesus, which is the Turkish name for the city in the Bible called Ephesus. So Ephesus was the place to which Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians, right, to Ephesus. So Ephesus was a very important city in the Roman Empire. It was the proconsular uh, capital, so and it became a cultural trading hub. It was basically probably the second most important city in the whole empire. It was also a very devotedly pagan city. Right? So you heard of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world? You ever heard of those? One of them was the Temple of Artemis right outside of Ephesus. Okay, so this city was devoted to Artemis, the goddess. Um, they even had you know, a, a very strong trade in making little silver Artemis goddesses and selling them. Right? So Paul shows up into this very important, very pagan city, and he shares the gospel. And boy, it doesn't seem like it worked at all. I mean, you talk about the opposition that he faced to the point that the citizens and the silversmiths, they got so upset, a riot started. I actually got to go stand in this amphitheater in Ephesus, which can seat 24,000 people. That was obviously standing back in Paul's day, and you can stand in it today. And this was the place where the mob came in opposition to the gospel, and for hours they just shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. God seemed like he wasn't working. God seemed like he was weak. And Paul's life must have looked like there were nothing but shards of brokenness. But you know, as I stood there in this amphitheater, you could look down the main road that led to the harbor. And part of the archaeological restoration they have there, there were five big pedestals down the main road of of Ephesus that if you were coming or going, you had to go past these pedestals that had statues on top of them. They were put up a couple of generations after Paul left the city. They were not statues of Artemis. Five statues. The four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and one pedestal in the middle for a cross. Sometimes God looks like he's not working. Sometimes it might seem like Jesus isn't reigning. 
but God's spirit is at work. When we share the gospel, this mission might seem huge, but the promise, the promise is even bigger. So when there seems to be broken parts in your life, when there seem to be places where God doesn't seem to be working, remember that these small changes, sometimes that's all we can see. These small changes are a picture of the great transformation God is going to work in this world. A transformation from brokenness to perfection. That's what's waiting when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords ushers us into his new kingdom. That's the promise he left us with that day on the Mount of Olives. The day when the Son of God punched a hole in the sky and sat down on the throne of heaven. He reigns. God grant it. Amen.